today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The example of the Macedonians is practical proof that true generosity is not the prerogative of those who enjoy an adequacy of means. The most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have the least to give. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. It's those who give sacrificially that see giving as a privilege. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. Giving doesn't come naturally to us. Giving is a spiritual gift, a spiritual exercise. Pastor J.D. reminds us of this in today's message. He touches on the fact that while God doesn't need us to give, we need to give. And when our giving is done cheerfully and obediently, it is pleasing to God. Giving shouldn't be a got to, it should be a get to. Giving is a privilege. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the Inspired in Truth podcast or download the Inspired in Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with his continuing study, Money and Giving. On Sunday mornings, we're going through 2 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today we're in chapter 8. And we're actually going to pick it up in verse 1. And Lord willing, make it all the way through to verse 9 by faith. So uh, once you find your way in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would please stand if you're able. And you can follow along as I read. The Apostle Paul is by the Holy Spirit writing to the church in Corinth and says, verse 1, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And verse 5, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us, So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, verse 7, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." So today's teaching is going to be part two of a new series we began last week 
titled Money and Giving. Actually, chapters 8 and 9 deal with the topic of money and giving. Now, for the benefit of those who weren't with us last week, we actually only made it to verse 1 in what sort of ended up being more of an introduction to this very touchy topic, and it is a touchy topic. Uh, We're going to pick it up where we left off, starting in verse 1, where we looked at the first reason that there were those in the early church that gave so generously and gave so cheerfully, even up out of their extreme poverty, as we're about to see. Simply put, they did this because they understood that giving is a gift. Here, Paul tells them that he wants them to know about God's grace and God's gift by way of the Macedonian churches financially giving. As we talked about last week, they had given so generously and so cheerfully of their own volition to the impoverished church in Jerusalem, but they themselves were not a rich church. It's just that the church in Jerusalem, because these were the Jewish believers who had lost everything when they came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, they were in such poverty. And the Apostle Paul, with these churches, is on the receiving end of them, again, as we're about to see, urgently pleading with Paul to be able to give, even out of their own poverty. But it seems that there were those who had been given the gift of giving. And the Apostle Paul writes about this gift in his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12. You might want to um, turn there because we're going to be back there uh, in just a little bit. But I want to read verses 4 through 8, where the Apostle Paul writes that we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them, and he goes on to list them, if prophecy let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, this brings us to our second one in verses 2 and 3 where we see that not only is giving a gift, but giving is a sacrifice as well. In verse 2, Paul says of the other churches in that area, that though they themselves were in severe trials, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And in verse 3, he then says that they gave not only as much as they could, but even beyond their ability, and they did this entirely of their own volition. Now, this is interesting because it points to how it's usually the ones 
who don't have wealth that give more than those who do have wealth. One commentator, I think, said it best this way. The example of the Macedonians is practical proof that true generosity is not the prerogative of those who enjoy an adequacy of means. The most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have the least to give. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. It's those who give sacrificially that see giving as a privilege as well, which is what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 4. This is where Paul says to the Corinthians that these other Christians actually pleaded with him with an urgency to have the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I was uh, pondering this this last week, and I'm trying to wrap my mind around the why behind the what, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Why did they have to plead with Paul to give? Here's what I'm thinking. Paul was probably resisting their willingness to give because they themselves were in such poverty that they really didn't have much to give. And I kind of picture them in this urgent pleading with the Apostle Paul insisting, no, Paul, please, please, we see this giving as a privilege. And is not giving a privilege? Do you see giving to God as a privilege? How privileged are we to be able to share in the service to the Lord's people? It is an unspeakable privilege to be able to give. If you were to ask me why I believe it is that most Christians don't give of their finances, this would have to be one of the main reasons. Namely, that they don't see giving as a privilege. Perhaps better said, they don't see giving as a get-to. To them, giving instead is a got-to. One of the things I always like to encourage the people who serve in this wonderful church that I am privileged to pastor is that I don't want you to serve, I don't want you to give, I don't want you to do anything if it's a got to. If it ever becomes a got to, instead of a I get to, no, I got to do this, don't do it. I got to give. No, don't don't give. (laughs) By the way, as we talked about last week, God does not need you to give. Contrary to what we hear by some on television and radio and the internet, God was not impacted by the financial crisis many years ago. God does not need your money. We need to give. It's not that God needs us to give, and it should never be a got to. It should always be a get to. Sadly, the church and the pastor of a church 
can be rightly blamed for giving, being a got to instead of a get to. Many a pastor from the pulpit has poor mouthed God and pressured God's people to give. And in so doing, they they strip giving of its joy. And instead of it being a privilege, it becomes a requirement. And this is not what God desires. This is not God's intention. I personally believe that if you can't give cheerfully and joyfully, then don't give. Don't give. Why? Because God loves it when we give with a joyful heart. Let me see if I can, by way of an illustration, view it through the lens of parenting. Now think about this as an earthly parent. It's Christmas and your children, I don't know if they get you gifts for Christmas. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom gave me money to get her and my dad a gift. <laughs> so <laughs> and I'd go spend the money on pinball and find something in the house to wrap it up and give it to them. I'm not kidding, wish I was. But how, how would you feel on the receiving end of a gift that was given because they had to do it? Here, here's your gift. Wow, really? <laughs> Don't bother. <laughs> if you did this because you had to? Because you were forced to? Because it was a God to? Because you were pressured to? I don't want it. I don't want it. How much more our Heavenly Father? And by the way, this applies across the board. Whether we're giving of our time, our treasure, or our talent, as one aptly noted. Think of it this way. When we spend time with the Lord, often an affection referred to as quiet times, our devotionals, where it's just us and the Lord. Can you imagine spending time with the Lord this way? You get up in the morning, ah, I need to spend time in the Word. Really? Don't, don't bother. What, what, what kind of a relationship is that? I think about the marriage relationship. I love to spend time with my wife. I love spending time with my wife. We have a great time together. We have to lock the kids out, out of the, <laughs> in order to have a great time together so they don't bother us. But I just, sometimes we just, I mean, we're best friends and I just love to just talk story with my wife. On a Sunday afternoon when I, when I get home, we usually just have some time together, some FaceTime. And we talk together. Can you imagine I come home and, oh yeah, man, i got to talk to my wife. What kind of a relationship is that? That's when it's a got to and not a get to. And again, how much more does this apply to our relationship with the Lord? When we get to chapter 9, verse 7, Paul writes that each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Listen, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. And I think you know that the word for cheerful in the original language of the Greek New Testament is where we get our word hilarious. Hilarious. And sometimes I, I look at my giving and I, and it is sometimes hilarious <laughs> in the sense that, wow, this, this is good. <laughs> this is good. But it's a joy. It's done joyfully, hilariously, if you prefer. Now, from this, one can rightfully conclude that if God loves a cheerful giver, then he must not love it when we give under compulsion or pressure. God is not honored. God is not blessed. If we want to bless the Lord, he's not blessed when our giving is done in that way. Pictured here is an actual letter from a church to, get this, a 92-year-old woman who was a member of the church for over 50 years. And she was a member of the first African Baptist church in Bainbridge, Georgia. That is, until they kicked her out of the church for not giving her money to the church. This was last year. Actual letter. This actually happens. Now I am keenly aware, thankfully, that this notion is foreign to you. We don't even receive an offering, nothing wrong with that. That's why we have the box in the back. Giving, tithing, is a form of worship. We worship the Lord in our tithes and offerings. And (laughs) to imagine that someone would, especially a 92-year-old woman, bless her heart, I, I probably would imagine she's like the widow in the Gospels who gave the two mites that we talked about last week. This brings us to verse 5, where we see that giving is God's will. Here, Paul, of the other churches, says, they exceeded his expectations, giving themselves and you need to pay particular attention to this, first to the Lord. They gave first themselves to the Lord, then by the will of God also to them. To me, this speaks very clearly to giving being the will of God, such that it's according to God's word and It's according to God's will for our lives. However, and there is a however here, it's God's will that we give of ourselves first and foremost. I suppose you could say it and see it as a prerequisite to our giving of our time and our treasure and our talent to the Lord. We have to, we must give ourselves first and foremost to the Lord. Story is told of an offering that was being taken during a revival in Africa. 
And a brand new Christian told the man that was holding the collection plate to put it lower. Lower, 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 he said, until the offering plate was on the ground. Then he stood up and stepped in. This man understood. This brand new believer got it. (laughs) He gave himself. Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Do with me as thou wilt. I think of Job, who would say, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I think of Esther. They're fasting, they're praying. She's risking her life going to the king. And she says this to Mordechai, If I perish, I perish. So be it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Lord, do with me as you please. I am not my own. I belong to you. Giving of myself first and foremost. Boy, I tell you, when that's in place, everything falls into place. When we belong to the Lord, we give ourselves to the Lord, everything else falls into place. This is what Jesus said in that well-known verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, then and only then will all of these other things be added unto you. Romans chapter 12 again, this time verses 1 and (laughs) 2. For those of you who were with us when we were going through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you might remember I had to go through and teach this two times, and I still didn't feel that I really (laughs) taught well these two verses there, just so packed, so full, so powerful. Let me read verses 1 and 2, Romans 12. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit, says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And here's why. This is your true and proper worship. That's all we have time for today on In Spirit and Truth. If you'd like to listen to today's message, head to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the Listen tab. You'll also have access to a number of other teachings by Pastor J.D., as well as his weekly Aloha Prophecy Updates. You can download our mobile app to take these teachings with you wherever you go. Learn more about In Spirit and Truth and Pastor J.D. at our website and also on Twitter. We'd love to have you join the conversation there. We'd also love to meet you in person as well and would like to invite you to join us for our weekly services here at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We gather each Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and also on Thursdays at 7 p.m. 
and you'll find more information at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Just click on Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at the bottom of the page. Before we end today, Pastor J.D. has an encouraging word to share with you. It is such a blessing for me personally to be able to share God's Word with you on each edition of our In Spirit and Truth radio broadcast. Also, I'm so very thankful that you've tuned in to listen. The book of 2 Corinthians provides us a much-needed reminder of how divine power is realized in our human weakness. Sadly, though, this is not a popular topic today because, as one so aptly said it, the gospel does not ride on health and wealth, but on weakness. The ministry of the Spirit is not one of splash and flash, but of meekness and weakness. It's for this reason that 2 Corinthians has become one of my favorite books in the Bible. Not only does it provide us with the key to living victorious Christian lives, it also provides us practical application concerning how we treat other believers in our lives. It's my hope and prayer that you will be as encouraged and blessed by this book as I was. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth Radio. 